The passage I want to speak on this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1. You wouldn't turn the, the mics down, please. Thank you. Um, could you turn it down a little bit? I, I have a confession to make. If you can't hear it already, I come from Northern Ireland. And my accent is such that when I lift my voice, I sound like a very well-known, though deceased, Irish preacher. So if you, if you turn the mic down a little bit, then I can lift my voice and we won't get the, the echoes. Or I can just move the time mic down if that's, if that's easier. Is that okay? Can you hear me? See, I, I find that comfortable. Are you comfortable with that in terms of excellent? So the passage I want to preach on this morning is uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. But for the sake of context, um, I'm trying to ignore the fact that there's now a clock on the, on the lectern. I said to Cole this morning, it's wonderful. The clock in the church doesn't work. You know, there used to be a, a hymn we used to sing, Oh, free from the law, oh, happy condition. And then I remember hearing a preacher in Northern Ireland saying one night, Oh, free from the clock, oh, happy condition. But I can't get away from the, the thing here. But for the sake of context, I'm going to read uh, chapter 1 from verse 1 through to the end of verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And I pray that God would bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this morning. What an absolutely wonderful passage of Scripture. And it is a privilege to be here this morning and to, be and to bring greetings from Spurgeon's College. I was delighted when Cole invited me to come along and to renew the relationship between Colchester Baptist Church and Spurgeon's College. As I said earlier, we're not just as old as you. Uh, Spurgeon established the college in 1856, but I think there's, there's something quite refreshing 
in renewing fellowship. And so, what I want to say is that we as a college are embarked on a, a really exciting uh, series of prospects. Our, our plans for the future are incredibly exciting. Some of you will be aware that we had some trouble in the summer when we, our application for registration with the Office for Students was refused. I'll bring that in a little bit in, in, my, in my message later. But I've been incredibly encouraged by the response of the Baptist family throughout the United Kingdom. And it's a joy to be able to say that we're successfully working our way through this. And by God's grace, our programs have not been derailed. We are still on track to do the things which we want to do, which I believe will be transformational in relation to preparing men and women for Christian service. Because as I said earlier to the children, we're not interested in simply churning out people to maintain the status quo. I want to see our society changed. I want to see lives transformed because we do have a message of truth, which is the gospel of salvation in Christ, which is transformational. As we delve into this passage, I can't deal with every single element of it, not in 20 minutes, of which I've just used five minutes in an introduction. Thinking back to doing preaching class in the college in which I trained, I'm sure someone would have a criticism on spending a whole five minutes on an introduction, but I'm quite comfortable with that. Um, I do things my own way, and I'm, again, quite comfortable with that. I've been doing this for 30 years, and uh, I'm at ease with doing things slightly differently. My purpose this morning and my intention, if you want to know what my heart is for uh, my message this morning, it is to encourage the believers is to encourage the people of God, which with what I believe is just a wonderful set of ideas. And in a classic Baptist sense, they'll be divided into three. <laughs> Here's me just saying a minute ago, I do things my own way, and I quickly go into a classic three-point sermon. We were chosen, we were included, we were marked. Really simple. One of the tragedies, though, and it is a tragedy, is that some of the things which should be a blessing to God's people have actually turned out to be, in the way in which they have been handled and mishandled, a problem within the Christian church. The idea that we are chosen in Christ was expected by Paul to be a blessing to the Ephesian Christians. And because this is God's Word, it is eternal, which means it is enduring, which means it should be a blessing to you and I. And I want to begin with what I think is one of the most mind-boggling ideas in God's Word. In verse 4, Paul says, We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I've had an interest and an enduring interest. Cole sometimes teases me about the um, qualifications that I have and the sort of the, 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 the letters and sort of stuff. Uh, and it's true. When we, when we first met, um, we were just reverence. <laughs> but I spent the last 20-odd years um, being a perpetual student. And I know Cole's done uh, his own research and study in that time as well. And 
I've had a real interest in cosmology and interested in um, evidence that speaks of a divine creator, evidence that demands an intelligent, rational response. You know, one of the things that distinguishes the Judeo-Christian tradition, and in this we stand together with those from within Judaism, is that in contrast to most of the thought forms of the ancient world, and today for those who would call themselves, or many within the, um, the atheistic community, there has been this enduring idea that creation just was. It just existed. Only the Judeo-Christian tradition held to the belief that there was a moment when God acted in sovereign power and spoke and creation came into being. But one of the things I struggled with as a young Christian was this idea of what did it mean to be chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. My natural interpretation was that this was an issue in relation to timing. But a very dear friend of mine, Professor David Gooding, who taught me Greek New Testament Greek when I was a shipyard man, when I was an engineer in the shipyard long before I went to Bible college to start to prepare, explained it in a slightly different context, a diff slightly different way. And he said, it's not in relation to time. It's in relation to order of priority. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The desire of God's heart, and this is why the translators of the NIV translate a specific word, in him you were chosen. You will see in the margin if you've got an NIV Bible, or in some of the more modern translations, it will talk about in him you were made heirs, or in him you have an inheritance. Both translations are correct because the word can mean both things. But when you're doing translation, you have to translate the text in relation to the context and what has passed before. And what I'm about to explain is understood in the context that we are God's inheritance and have an inheritance which is eternal. In the mind of God, and I want if only you could have access to my mind and heart at this moment, you would get an insight into how rich I think this idea is. And I fear that my inability to express myself adequately using English will fail to really communicate the mind-boggling nature of what Paul is sharing here. That we came first in the mind of God before creation was ruled out. Now think about that for a moment. Just allowing that to enter into your mind for a moment. There are those who would teach, and I think there's a tremendous amount of truth in this, that creation is something like 13.5 billion years old. Fascinating idea. And when you look at cosmology and you look at the evidence in the space and the solar systems out there, and NASA have spent decades searching the cosmos. 
and the information that comes back does not undermine in a second or in a smallest point the truth of the Bible. In fact, the reverse is true. It takes the smallest of margin to change and life as we know it in the universe could not exist. Move the earth just a fraction either way. Tilt the axis a fraction either way. And large formed carbon life forms like us could not exist. And yet before a solar system was in place, before the stars started to form, you were in the mind of God. You came first. Isn't that amazing? When we drove here this morning, it was the autumn is a lovely time of year. And I know the weather recently hasn't been brilliant. That's saying something, isn't it? Recently we had a, an incident at the college and the police chased somebody and um, they drove onto the lawn in a big van. Do you know what I was most afraid of? It was a TV crew coming out to see the van stuck in the garden <laughs> trapped up to its axles. Thankfully it didn't happen. But this morning, oh, what a glorious, beautiful morning it was. And on the drive-in, what a lovely drive it was. The resplendent autumn array of golden leaves, the autumn, the golden of the leaves and the morning autumn sun. And it was just lovely. It was really pretty. And I suspect if the weather continues like this, we'll have a clear sky tonight. The next time you go out and look up into the evening sky and you see the wonder of the universe above, I completely get David where he said, when I consider the moon and the stars, the work of your hands. Who are we that you would consider us? And yet the truth of Ephesians is that before the creation of the world, God had you in mind and chose you. I had an interesting experience recently. I was in the States, and um, I paid attention a little bit more to the journey. And for some reason, the, the arc of the flight took us out over uh, close to Iceland, round by Greenland, then down in through North Canada, down Newfoundland, down into Chicago. And it was very bizarre because we took off from London at 7 o'clock in the morning in daylight, flew into pitched darkness, and then as the plane was coming, was swinging round over, as if it just went like that, you know, it was hours in the air. The plane was lit up with all kinds of colors, mostly greens and blues. And it occurred to me that we were, um, we were being affected to some extent. The, the plane wings were reflecting the aurora borealis. That was lovely. And then we flew into daylight again. So I left in the morning and flew back into the morning. It's very weird, kind of messes with your head a little bit. And yet, all of the wonder of creation was a secondary thing in the mind of God because he wanted you and me. 
And that's why the translators in verse 11 translate a word that can be understood as inheritance or heirs, as chosen. Because there is a reason why we were chosen. God chose us to be both his inheritance and to give us an inheritance. Again, allow me to try and build a picture in your mind. I'm sure many here have looked at the evening sky or you've seen grandeur and wonder in the world around that speak of the majesty and creative wonder of our God. And yet none of it is described in the way in which God, through Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, describe you and I. None of the constellations are described in the way that we are described. That he chose us as his inheritance. Now, I don't know how you came to church this morning. I'm not thinking about whether you came by bike or walked or car. But I'm not sure whether or not you were feeling down or this week has been pressurized. My weeks go by in a blink because of the pressure that we're under in order to deliver our program and also configure ourselves for the future. And it's incredibly exciting, but it's incredibly pressurized. But in 30 years of ministry, if there's one thing that stands out, is that the people of God often fail to see themselves or appreciate themselves the way that God sees us. And I understand that humility is a Christian virtue. Genuine humility is incredibly attractive. There are always people that we enjoy spending time with, and more often than not, you'll find that these people are at ease with themselves, are comfortable with themselves, have nothing to prove, that no axe to grind, and despite all of the things that they've done in their life, they're just ordinary people, and they enjoy the company of ordinary people, and humility is lovely, and I totally get that. But sometimes we can slip into a different sort whereby, who are you? Well, I'm nobody. I'm not very important. There's nothing special or unique about me. I understand that phrase. I understand the sentiment in that. But nothing could be further from the truth when we put it in the context of Ephesians chapter 1. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be an inheritance of God so that God could give an inheritance to us. Our status, brothers and sisters, is, to me, breathtaking. So when you go out, if it's tonight, or some days to come, and you look up, and look, and you look up into the skies, and you see the glory of creation above, that is not God's inheritance. You are part of God's inheritance. 
We were chosen. But we were included. Now, this is a buzz phrase today. For those of you who keep, and it's a bewildering array of time, if you, those of you who keep up to speed with all the kind of trends in society, you will know that inclusion is really important. But it's not biblical inclusion here. What Paul talks about, it's an interesting, the, the translators here, um, I wrestled with this because I read multiple translations and I read multiple commentaries, and I was struggling to see why the translators used the phrase that they did. Because the word included or inclusion is not used in the original text. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works all things everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to be put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. Now, the word included isn't in the Greek text. And the translation puzzled me. And it took me a bit of time to work out what I think the translators were doing. But I think I have an answer. One of, one of the joys, and I know Cole's probably done this as well, I, I've been, I'm teaching my son New Testament Greek. So last night we were looking at how to parse filial verbs and how the, uh, the, 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 the verb ending condenses. It's, it's a technical thing, and for those like me who are like that stuff, it's quite entertaining. And my son going, this doesn't understand, make sense, that explain us how this works. And then eventually, using the text, you kind of work it out. Because Greek is an interesting language. And I think the reason why the word included here is used is because there are, there's a phrase in him that brackets three things. And it's very obvious in the Greek text. And the three things are this. We heard the gospel of truth. The next is the gospel of salvation and believed. Cole mentioned that in our history as Baptists, and it's something that modern Baptists perhaps have little understanding of, it was costly to be a Baptist when this church was founded. It wasn't until the, I'm trying to think of the correct phrase, the act of toleration, religious toleration, that the country accepted that you could be a good citizen and not be a part of the Church of England. <laughs> and it, also, it also referred to, it also uh, had an impact on Roman Catholics as well, of course. When I joined the chaplain's department in 1997, some of our friends, and they would become colleagues, referred to us as dirty little nonconformists. <laughs> and what we didn't conform to was the Elizabethan settlement. In other words, what we have held at the very heart of our being and our theology and who we are as Baptists is that it is not for the state to tell us what to believe, how to believe, how to worship, and how to practice. 
our forefathers and mothers felt that it is God's right to direct how we meet, what we believe, how we communicate with one another. And it's not for the state. I think we are going to find ourselves in days and months and years to come in a fairly similar place to our forebears. Because at the heart of our faith are certain principles that set us apart from the trajectory that the world is on. We do have a gospel of truth. It's not a truth. It's not one among a number of truths. I will never, ever, ever say that Jesus Christ is our way. He is our truth. He is our means to life. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you're wrong about the person of Christ, it doesn't matter what else you are right about. Because all truth resides in Him. And it is in Him and about Him that we have a gospel of salvation. And it is a gospel of salvation. It's not a gospel of social work, although I recognize and value the importance of social justice. And we cannot be blind to injustice around us. In the Old Testament, it's full of challenges to the people of God not to ignore the plight of the oppressed. But there is no doubt that the central tenets of our belief excludes those who don't believe what we believe. When I was in the States, I flew back to the UK from Charlotte and my wife had um, done some research on the internet and found out things to do in Charlotte. And one of the things to do when you're in Charlotte is visit the Billy Graham Library. Because Billy Graham was brought up and lived in Charlotte for a great deal of his life. And so I went, and you know, part of the, part of the, um, the exhibition is, is, is quintessentially American. You know, we, 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 we could do things quintessentially in a British way. So we, we had an American uh, family visited the college because Spurgeon's College, and he had heard that we had the actual pulpit under which Spurgeon was converted as a young man. Do you know where we keep the pulpit? <laughs> under a set of stairs. If it was in the States, we'd build an entire visitor center around it. And, it just, and so I pulled the, the, the pulpit out so that the young man could have his photograph taken in, in the pulpit. Quintessentially American, you go into the big barn, emphasizing the fact that Billy Graham was a, was, a, was a young man that came from farming stock, and there's a mechanical cow on the right-hand side, full-size mechanical cow. And I thought, oh, dear. Um, nevertheless, I'll walk around, and then I started to follow what they call the, um, the kind of trail of faith. And I had the opportunity to hear a young Billy Graham preach the gospel. Oh, my goodness. I sat listening to him preaching the gospel of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and my soul welled within me. 
My spirit soared as Isaiah talked about. Born on eagle's wings. Because just the sound of hearing that there is salvation and life in Christ and forgiveness of sin and transformation. Oh, what a joy and blessing to the soul. It was wonderful. And if you want to know how you can be sure that you're a Christian, there's nothing thrills a soul like hearing of Christ and Him crucified and the forgiveness and salvation that is freely offered in His name. We're not outsiders. We're included in Christ because we heard the truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed. And our lives were transformed. And then, the most amazing thing of all, and I feel utterly inadequate even to talk about it, because if it was not in the text of Scripture, I don't believe I could believe it, because it seems to be beyond belief that when we believed, when we trusted in Christ, when we accepted Christ into our lives, we were marked by the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that God has promised to us. God gifts himself as a deposit of the authenticity of what he says. Do you know, some of what I said this morning might seem to those who don't know God, who have never encountered Christ, as too fantastic to believe. It's far too fantastic. Way beyond what credibility can endure. It's too good to be true. Liberated, freed, a, an inheritance in store for us. My goodness. How can this be true? I'm tempted to think that the Holy Spirit, when working with Paul, writing this letter, wanted the believers to understand that one of the things about being marked by the Spirit of God is that it indicates that this is authentic, this is genuine, this is real. It's not fake. It's not false. One of the things that you learn when you're getting older is the marks of getting older. So I have to confess this, this is me, you may be different. I used to, when I was younger, I used to listen to Radio Luxembourg for two or three minutes before you had to find it again. On, on the, do you remember having to move it? None of this sort of electronic moving to keep the signal. And then you listen to Radio 1, and then without ever any conscious thought, I find myself listening to Radio 2, because all of the DJs in Radio 1 were now in Radio 2. <laughs> and then the real, the real doozy is you find yourself listening to the Good Morning program on the way to work on Radio 4. 
And then following a pattern that, that no one laid down and no one commanded that I follow, I enjoy things like escape to the country, antiques roadshow, yeah, and one that's on, on Sunday night about paintings that may be from great masters. You watch that? And sometimes my heart goes out to the people who think that it may be by some really famous artist that I've never heard of and worth half a million pounds. And they search for evidence to show its authenticity. And they do incredible things to find evidence that might suggest that the painting is authentic. So that there could be no misunderstanding with the people of God to guarantee that what God said was true, He gave as a deposit Himself and marked us with the Holy Spirit. I find that just too much to understand. To demonstrate to you and me, what does that say about how God sees us? To prove to you and me that all that God said He would do in relation to us, He will bring to pass. You know, sometimes we walk by sight far too much rather than by faith. My college got thumped in the summer by a secular regulator, but we continue to live by faith and trust that God's purposes and plans would not be disrupted because He works all things according to His own purpose and will. And so, to guarantee to you and I that what he says in Ephesians is true. He has marked us with the Holy Spirit, which is the deposit guaranteeing the truth of what he says. As we come to the end of this, can I challenge you as believers who are chosen and included and marked What will you do for him this week? What will you do in response to what God has done to demonstrate how much you mean to him, how important you are to him, the lengths he has gone to to affirm that you are his and all the promises are true? What will you do or give to him this week? I genuinely believe there is a moment coming in our life nationally as a Baptist family. I'm a trustee of the union, so I see things from a slightly different perspective as well. There is a moment of opportunity coming when we could see transformational moves of God in our land. What will this old congregation do? Not in terms of age of people in it, but God has kept the witness of this fellowship going for hundreds of years. What role will you play in bringing it personally? What will you do in response to God's revelation of what he has done? Can anything be too much for, in relation to giving back to God in light of what he's done? And this evening when we meet together, 
I'm going to develop the story in chapter 2 and introduce another incredible idea that you may have heard in the past but may not have thought about recently of another image that God uses of how he sees his people. And with that, I'll hand back to my friend.